0: Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE 30 So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE 30 This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Duar, and this is the Norman Invasion Part 8 the arrival of Henry II. This episode sees the first royal visit of an English monarch to Ireland, but long before Henry II can cross the Irish Sea, there's much to be resolved. Robert Fitzstephens is being held hostage in Wexford and needs to be rescued, while the Normans face widespread opposition across Leinster in the aftermath of the Siege of Dublin. But to begin today's show, we need to go back to the autumn of 1171, and what was one of the most important times of the year, the harvest. Harvest was the single most important event in the medieval calendar, so much so that it's hard to find a parallel in the modern world. For many people, their entire year was made or lost in the two months of August and September, when peasants toiled for long hours in the fields through rain or shine. It was often a time when war was avoided if possible, as all available hands were needed to bring in the crops. However, in autumn, 1171, the harvest was the last thing on the minds of Strongbow and his Norman followers in Ireland. They couldn't wait for the harvest to finish to wage war. While they had just emerged victorious at the siege of Dublin, they faced a myriad of problems arising from the fact that they had been holed up in the town for the previous two months. Of these problems. Perhaps the most immediate was the plight of Robert Fitz Stevens, the Norman ruler of Wexford. While the siege of Dublin had trapped Strongbow, the population of Wexford had turned on Fitz Stevens, besieging him and eventually took him prisoner. Fitz Stevens was a warrior of great repute and one of the first Normans to land in Ireland. He couldn't be left to the mercy of the Wexford men. It would set an awful precedent. This however was only one of several problems facing the Normans and Strongbow. Indeed, before the siege of Dublin had even begun, the death of Diarmuid MacMurray had created great upheaval in Leinster. When Strongbow had come to Ireland, he had been promised that he would succeed Diarmuid, but he had been opposed by Diarmuid's brother Morkath, supported by most of the Gaelic Irish in Leinster. Now if Strongbow knew anything about Gaelic politics, he would have known. A succession struggle like the one he was now engaged in frequently ended in assassination this was something he would have to play very carefully. Now as he battled Market for power in Leinster, he also had to watch the neighbouring king of Gilla Gilpatrick, who also held designs on Leinster. He would carve off a slice of the kingdom if the possibility arose. Finally, perhaps, the greatest problem the Normans in Ireland faced was the tensions with their own king, Henry II, back home. Early in 1171, Henry II had banned all communication, trade and travel with Strongbow and his followers as they had directly disobeyed him by coming to Ireland. This effective excommunication from the Norman world needed to be overturned. Strongbow could not receive any more military aid if this wasn't lifted while Ireland's ports were crippled by the lack of trade. He had already sent two emissaries to Henry, both of whom who had failed and now he was awaiting on word from a third who he had dispatched to the king, his own uncle, Hervey de Montmorency. Now all these problems were enough to try even the fittest, healthiest and most agile of men. But in the autumn of 1171, Strongbow and his Norman followers had just endured a horrific ordeal during the siege of Dublin, which must have taken a great toll on them. They had spent two months cooped up inside the walls of the town, living on their nerves and rationed foods. The psychological effects of the constant threat of assault would have worn down even the most experienced and battle-hardened among them. Regardless, though, of how well-prepared they were, they had to go on and face their enemies and potentially even the King of England himself because if they didn't, their conquest in Ireland would be lost to them. The first matter to hand was to free their comrade-in-arms, Robert Fitzstephen, who was being held in Wexford. As the siege of Dublin had dragged on week after week through the summer of 1171, the standing of the Normans across Ireland had fallen dramatically, as it looked like they were about to be defeated. Even with their ultimate victory in the siege, they no longer looked as invincible as they once had, and this was all too evident when Strongbow ventured out of Dublin to rescue Robert Fitzstephen in Wexford. Now, Wexford is situated about a hundred kilometres down the east coast from Dublin in the far south of Leinster. The easiest and shortest route south lies through what was in the Middle Ages a wild terrain between the Irish Sea and the Wicklow Mountains. However, given they were far from certain about how they would be received once they left the safety of Dublin, the Normans instead chose a longer but safer circuitous route. This would see them travel west around the Wicklow Mountains before turning back east to Wexford. In late 1171, Even this safer route proved perilous. When they reached the territory of Yadrone, situated in modern County Carlow about halfway to Wexford, the Normans had to move through what was a narrow pass. This pass however was blocked by felled trees and it quickly became clear they were facing an ambush from the Orions, the local family in the region. In the narrow pass obstructed by trees the mounted Norman warriors lost their advantage even though weakened by the battles of the summer past and no doubt seriously impeded by the terrain the Normans rose to the challenge perhaps propelled by what was an increasing sense of destiny and eventual victory they nevertheless carried the day when an archer brought down the King of the Orions with an arrow dusting themselves down they moved on to their objective of Wexford without any further trouble but what they found on arrival was unsettling the town had been abandoned and set ablaze. They soon heard about what had happened, a story of deceit and trickery. The situation at Wexford through the previous months had been similar to that at Dublin when Robert Fitzstephens and a small Norman garrison had been besieged. While they had not actually been defeated, they had surrendered after being tricked. The besiegers told FitzStephen that Strongbow had been killed at the siege of Dublin and Rory O'Connor was now marching on him in Wexford. Then, when Fitzstephen surrendered, most of his troops were put to the sword while he and a few others were taken prisoner. But when Strongbow emerged victorious against all the odds at Dublin and marched south to Wexford, the population now panicked. The situation was not playing out as they had originally intended. Knowing that the Normans were masters of siege warfare, they abandoned their town of Wexford but not before they burned it. They retreated then with the captives to an easily defended island nearby. When Strongbow found out what had happened and arrived on the shore near the island he was sent a stark ultimatum. If he attempted to storm the island redoubt, he would be bombarded with the heads of the captives including that of Fitz Stevens. This was certainly food for thought. The attack was already very risky And Strongbow, knowing that Fitzstephens was more than able to handle captivity, he had spent three years in prison before he had come to Ireland, now decided he would resolve his other problems before trying to free his fellow comrade-in-arms. He no doubt felt that if he secured his position elsewhere, those holding Fitzstephens might be slightly less strident. So abandoning the prisoner to his captors, for the moment at least, Strongbow now withdrew and turned to deal with the other problems he faced and headed for the town of Waterford. Arriving in Wexford, the port which he had captured within days of landing in Ireland in 1170, Strongbow must have been utterly jaded. However, there was little time for respite. Indeed, if anything, events began to move at an even more frenetic pace given the news that greeted him. Herbie de Montmorency his uncle, who had been sent to treat with Henry II, had returned. The news was mixed. While Hervey had made inroads and convinced Henry Strongbow was not a threat, the King had made a decision to come to Ireland in person. While his arrival was still over a month away, Strongbow now had little time to resolve matters in Ireland as Henry demanded that he come to meet him in person in Wales before the King departed for Ireland. For Strongbow, he must have now realised the following weeks were crucial. With Henry coming, he could have the embargo on Ireland lifted, he could regularise relations with his king and receive more aid. However, to ensure the upcoming meeting with Henry went well, he needed to shore up his position in Ireland. If he met Henry while he still faced Gaelic enemies, it would certainly weaken his negotiating position. So he now resolved to remedy the outstanding problems he faced in Ireland as quickly as possible before he left for Wales to meet the king. First on the list was the King of Osry, who was a constant threat on his western flank in Leinster. If this was solved, he could then turn to the tricky succession of the kingship of Leinster and his relationship with the wider Macmurrah family. But before we get into this fascinating story, I want to take a quick break. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now, let's get back to the show. When Strongbow left Waterford to eliminate opposition he faced in Austria, the first and foremost concern on his mind was to avoid a protracted war with the king, Gilepatrick. Strongbow needed a quick resolution and therefore he wanted allies to crush the kingdom hastily. However, after the death of Dermot MacMurrough in May, there were few within Gaelic Ireland he could call on for support. One exception to this was Donal More O'Brien, the King of Thomond, a great-great-great-grandson of Brian Baru. Donal was actually related to Strongbow through marriage. His wife Orlachan was a sister of Strongbow's wife Aoife. And when Strongbow asked Donal for military aid in the upcoming assault on Austria, he responded positively. But this was not because of his marital connection to the Norman. In 1171, both Donal and Strongbow had similar short-term goals. Donal welcomed any chance to slight the Kingdom of Austria, which lay on his eastern frontier. So he quickly mobilised to help the Normans. In Austria, the King Gilpatrick now faced impossible odds. His small kingdom, situated in modern Kilkenny, was facing attack from both east and west. In the face of certain annihilation, he asked Strongbow for negotiations. One of the conditions of this party was that the Norman leader, Maurice de Prendergast, would guarantee Gilderpatrick's safety. Morris was actually known to the Gaelic king personally and was happy to guarantee his safety. While Morris's pledge was genuine, Strongbow and the other leading figures in the norman camp had very different ideas in their desire to find a speedy resolution they now went behind Maurice de prendergast's back and plotted to assassinate gillapatrick however once de prendergast heard of what was afoot he was infuriated he had given his word to gillapatrick that he would be safe not a man to be trifled with he now armed his followers instructing them that they would defend the gaelic king against their norman colleagues with force if needs be with Henry II arriving shortly, the last thing Strongbow wanted was open warfare between the Normans. He handed Gilpatrick over to Maurice de Prendergast and the plot to kill him was called off. Morris escorted the King of Austria back to safety and en route even went as far as massacring some of Donal Moore O'Brien's troops who had raided his kingdom. While Gilpatrick had survived relatively unscathed, Strongbow was probably happy that he had terrified the man enough to guarantee his good behaviour in the coming months. Even with this problem resolved though, the hectic pace of events did not let up as Strongbow now had to turn to resolve his fractious relationship with his in-laws, the MacMurrs. When Dearmouth MacMurrah had died in May of 1171, there were three potential candidates to follow in his footsteps. His son Donal, his brother Merkle and Strongbow who Dearmid appears to have anointed as his chosen successor. Now Donal, Diarmuid's son, almost immediately ruled himself out and actually supported Strongbow. However, Worked Diarmuid's brother, staked the claim and went as far as attacking the Normans and was among those who besieged Fitzstephen in Wexford. However, now in autumn 1171, when Strongbow finally turned to resolve this situation once and for all, death had intervened. Market, Dearmid's brother, who had opposed Strongbow, had died and was replaced by his more amenable son. He too now accepted Strongbow's dominance in Leinster and the succession that promised to be immensely difficult passed off without a hitch. While Strongbow was now unquestionably Dearmid's successor, he didn't dare take the title of King of Leinster. Given that he was about to meet Henry II, this would have been something that would have irked his king. Strongbow was a vassal a lord, an earl, but most definitely not a fellow king to Henry. Regardless of the title, this agreement with the McMurras now secured his position in Nanster. He could go to Wales in the knowledge that there would be no major uprising before he returned. However, before he left, Strongbow copper fastened his position with an illustration of brutality and a warning to those who opposed him. In the years previously, a man called O'Brien or possibly O'Byrne had been opposing the MacMurrays in Leinster. His exact identity is elusive. But Strongbow had this man tracked down and captured, fearing he might upset the agreement he had just made in Leinster. This O'Brien or O'Byrne fellow was brought to Ferns where Strongbow personally beheaded him. The corpse was then fed to dogs in an act of utter degradation. With this somewhat disturbing note, Strongbow was now... Finally, ready to depart to meet with his king, Henry II, who would decide his future and indeed the future of Ireland. As Strongbow prepared to set sail for Wales, the man must have been on the verge of collapse from exhaustion. The three previous months had been hectic. He had been under siege in Dublin. He had fought numerous battles, including that crucial one to end the siege of Dublin. He had then travelled the length and breadth of Leinster to resolve the problems he faced and now he had to travel back to Waterford and board a ship to Wales. The voyage across the Irish Sea should have been a brief time to rest but there was no way Strongbow could have relaxed. Awaiting him was the meeting that would define his future. Henry II was as formidable a man as he was powerful. He was not only King of England but also the Count of Anjou, the Count of Nantes, the Duke of Aquitaine, the Count of Maine and the Duke of Normandy. When Strongbow arrived in Wales his fateful meeting with this man took place in Pembroke. The meeting appears to have gone as well as Strongbow could have hoped as Henry appears to have been generally of a convivial disposition and by the end of their negotiations all tension between the two appears to have dissipated. Strongbow handed over to the King all land he had conquered in Ireland including Leinster. In return Henry granted Strongbow all his lands and titles in Wales, England and France that had been confiscated when he left for Ireland in 1170. He granted him back most of the conquered land in Ireland as well making him Lord of Leinster. The towns of Wexford, Dublin and Waterford were kept as rewards for other subjects. The formal ceremony conferring these lands did not take place in Pembroke however but would wait until the two were back in Ireland. No doubt Henry II wanted all to see Strongbow kneel before his king. There was no doubt that this meeting had gone infinitely better than Strongbow could have hoped. He had, after all, openly defied Henry. However, things in England had changed a lot since Strongbow had left in 1170 and by late 1171 Henry II was desperate for friends, which helps explain his relative generosity. Nine months previous to their meeting, on December eleven 1170, Henry II's longtime friend and the most famous cleric in England, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas of Becket, had been murdered in what was probably the most infamous assassination in English history. This had supposedly happened after Henry, increasingly tired of Becket's commitment to religious reform, had uttered the words, "'What miserable drones and traitors have I nourished and brought up in my household "'who let their lord be treated with such shameful contempt by a low-born cleric?' Three knights left the court and within days Becket was dead.' Whether Henry actually intended for Becket to die is another matter entirely, but in 1171 the full force of the medieval church was being brought to bear on the king. Legates, representatives of the Pope, were on their way to investigate Henry. He needed an excuse to leave and Strongbow's conquest of Ireland came at the perfect time. While the negotiations between the King and Strongbow happened during momentous events in English history, the consequences in Ireland were even more seismic. After the meeting of Henry and Strongbow there was no longer any ambiguity as to what the Normans' intentions were in Ireland. They weren't mercenaries but very clearly conquerors. Strongbow had just handed Leinster to his king, who had then returned it back to him as a vassal. The first parts of Ireland were now ruled directly by an English king, beginning a relationship between Ireland and England that would prove utterly disastrous for Ireland in the coming centuries. But that's a story for future shows. In 1171, while Henry and Strongbow had come to an amicable agreement, the king was still taking no chances in coming to Ireland. Shortly after the negotiations, His army, which had been mustered near Gloucester, moved into Wales, towards the disembarkation point of Milford Haven. When Strongbow saw this force he can only have been relieved he was now back in the King's Good Books. It numbered 4,000 soldiers, 500 knights, not to mention large numbers of archers and attendants. They also had Castella Ligna with them. These were siege towers which had been pre-made into sections to allow for easy transport across the sea. Henry was illustrating if he needed he would have taken the Norman-held towns in Ireland by force. Ultimately now it seems that these would not be necessary but nevertheless he was making the point forcefully. Despite its formidable size when the army arrived at Milford Haven on September 30th 1171 it was stopped dead in its tracks before it could cross the sea. While there was no army in Ireland that could stand up to Henry II's force Mother Nature was a different matter entirely and as winter approached, stormy weather delayed the crossing. These storms raged for 17 days, perhaps the first chance Strongbow had to rest. Finally, on October 16th 1171, the army boarded 400 ships and set sail, arriving in Waterford the following day, with Henry II being the first English monarch to set foot on Irish soil. The island would never be the same again the nature of the Norman presence was about to change dramatically. Join me next time while we accompany Henry II on his six-month journey through Ireland, the longest any reigning English monarch would ever stay on the island. Finally, don't forget if you want to get that show on the Black Death, you need to subscribe at irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash black death. Until next time, Sloan.